I wanted to live the things I was shooting because I kind of wanted to be in a different world. You know, I wanted to be in a world that I guess was a little more perfect. Even when I'm traveling, like if I can reimagine the place I'm in through a lens as I'm traveling, that reimagining just makes it so much more interesting to me. Welcome to Refilmery. We are a film and photography production company in New York, and each week we turn the mic on our fellow creatives and the brand leaders that we produce films for to find out why they make their films and also how they use storytelling to reach their audiences. My name is David Joshua Ford, and I'm the executive director of Refilmery. Today we're speaking with Brandon Lee, a travel filmmaker and global nomad. Brandon has the ability to dive beneath the layers of a destination taking you off the streets and public areas and into the private lives of its inhabitants. He uses camera movement and invisible edits to maintain seamless transitions between spaces, themes, and moods. The quality of his films have been recognized with numerous Vimeo staff picks. I'm dialing in long distance to ask him about how it feels to live a permanently nomadic lifestyle, the curiosity that he has discovering the world through a lens, and how filmmaking has helped him grow as a person. Brandon Lee, welcome to Refilmery. It's really great to speak with you. Where are you speaking to us from? I'm in Hong Kong. You just shot a film there, which was Hong Kong Strong, but is this to see your family? I'm actually back because I'm doing a whole bunch of other projects. Uh, After I finished Hong Kong Strong, I had a bunch of offers to do more work in Hong Kong. So, uh, so far I've done a 360 VR film and I'm doing a music video tomorrow. And then right after that, I'm doing a like a corporate grand film for a construction company here. Yeah. Just a, a bunch of other random stuff in the pipeline after that. Well, maybe we'll just jump straight into the, the commercial stuff because, I mean, you've got a really amazing travel reel and a lot of that, I'm guessing, is self-funded. But you, you've produced amazing images from all around the world. What's, what does that do as a, a showreel, I guess, for um, companies that are looking to use your visual storytelling skills in order to tell a story for their brand? The travel videos that I make are really my portfolio, my legacy. I mean, they're, they're like, you know, they're the purest expression of what I want to do as a filmmaker. Uh, because when I do commercial work, the thing is, inevitably, it's not just my vision. You know, I'm sharing my vision with a client. Um, I've, uh, they, they, their say on it is every bit as important as mine. Yeah. So it's a collaboration. And, you know, collaboration is great, but people hire me usually because they want to add my vision to their concept. So how do they know what my vision is? How do they know what makes me different from other guys as a filmmaker, you know? Um, That's where the travel videos come in. Because then I can just sort of run wild, you know, make mistakes, take forever to shoot, take forever to edit, no deadlines, uh, and just kind of, you know, like execute a bunch of crazy ideas. And if it turns out great, awesome, I post it. If it doesn't, it goes in the bin, nobody ever sees it, no harm, no foul. So that's really just the way that I uh, that's the way that I build my skills as a filmmaker and build my identity and sort of you know let people know what makes me unique. Yeah. So what's your shooting ratio for your own work? Do you spend a lot of time just walking around, exploring the city, shooting a whole lot, and then editing that down to a certain amount? Yeah. I mean, I think it would be a shame if I didn't spend a whole lot of time shooting unnecessary stuff when I'm traveling because <laughs> that's the fun of it, right? I mean, yeah. That's the reason I got into this travel stuff. Uh, I, you know, I wanted to film something that was as cool to experience as it was to watch. 
Yeah. Because um, a lot of things like, let's say, special effects are really cool to watch. But do I want to sit there behind the computer for 18 hours a day for six months to make a 45-second shot? Not sure. Really. Uh, I mean, that's but, why. What's that? There you go. I was going to say, that's why I didn't go with animation as a career. I was with live action because I like being able to film something and, and see it back straight away. But a lot of my travel stuff has been travel photography because I find when I'm traveling, it's something that I'm able to do very quickly and easily on my own without having to do a big team. So I'm interested to know for you who've um, done a lot of travel videos, what's that experience like for you when you're you're traveling? Are you able to fully immerse yourself in the travel experience or is there a lot of your energy that is going into producing things to a high quality standard? I would say when I'm shooting, I'm a completely different person than when I'm just traveling. So mm-hmm. I try to reserve the first week if possible of my travels. Um, like I'll spend usually a month in one location to, to shoot a video, but I'll try to spend the first week just actually experiencing it, hanging out, getting to know people, enjoying myself. Because once I start shooting for real, it's like I, I still am there. I still am enjoying it, but it's in a much, much more intense way. And I'm as focused on getting the video as I am on having any sort of a meaningful experience in the place. Um, you know, it becomes a shoot. It, it's not like I'm just rolling around having fun and, you know, capturing snapshots. You know, that's, yeah. not, that's not the way my, my production works with my shoots. There's a lot um, of logistics. A lot of logistics and a lot of just, there's always a pressure. I mean, even if it's, even if there's no schedule for me, even if I have no script, no storyboard, no deadline, there's always moments I want to capture that are never going to happen again. Okay. And if I let my eye wander, if I, you know, if I decide to leave the house 10 minutes later and I miss the sunrise, or if I decide mm-hmm. to go home 10 minutes early and I miss, you know, an incredible moment with like a local person, you know, doing something spontaneous, that's my fault. And that's something that's not going to be in the video. So that's sort of where the pressure comes from. It's trying not to miss those unplannable moments. Yeah. Well, your website is unscripted.com, which I guess speaks to your ability to interpret a scene as you encounter it. And yet there's so much planning that goes into travel and into filmmaking. So what sort of scripting and creative development and preparation goes into your films before you've even arrived at location? I don't do any scripting. I don't Mm -hmm. storyboard. I try not to write anything down, to be honest, except for um, ideas of scenes I would want to shoot, subjects I'm interested in. General stuff like that, it's more like an itinerary, like a travel itinerary, I guess. Okay. I'd say, okay, there's this festival happening. I want to be there. And I want to be there at this time of day because that's when the best light's going to be or that's when the most interesting stuff's going to be happening. And I, I create a wish list. And then I go out there and I try to capture as much of that wish, the wish list as possible. And in my mind, I know that I'm going to need certain flavors of footage. I'll need intimate footage. I'll need you know grand vistas. I will need... Uh, shots of old people, I'll need shots of kids, I'll need people playing, I'll need people working, I'll need sadness, I'll need happiness. And I try to satisfy each of those parameters without putting anything into an actual scripted form. Because it's more like you're just accumulating a whole bunch of pieces and then figuring out what to do with those pieces in editing. So have you done this style of production with commercial clients yet? Commercial clients don't like this style of production. No, Because I was going to say there's a certain amount of um trust i guess but also they just have to know that 
they they can just trust you to go and shoot something. So is that what challenges do they face in approaching this style of production? Look, to be honest, nobody's given me that freedom on a commercial job, the complete freedom. They'll give me something that's along those lines, but usually there's major restrictions. Like, okay, they'll say, okay, we're not. You don't have to follow an exact script, but you have to go to these locations at these exact times, and you only have one chance to get each subject that you're trying to shoot at those locations, and you have to do it all in like five consecutive days. And after that, you're leaving town. You're never coming back. You edit what you have. That's it. Because they're paying for a certain number of days for me to be there. You know, they pay for production insurance or flights or hotels or other logistics. So mm-hmm. it's not without reason. They have reason for it. But inevitably, I think there's always going to be a difference between the commercial jobs and the jobs where I just say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to travel as long as I want to. I'm going to see. And if the video I make sucks, I'm the only one who suffers for it. So what is it about traveling that you love so much? I love the feeling that every moment of the day, I'm doing something I've never done before. That feeling, because that's what it's like when you're a kid. Let's say you're two years old, right? You've had maybe 700 days in this world so far, and you can spend each one of those days doing something you've never done before, seeing stuff you've never done before. That's why kids are so amazed at stuff that we think is so boring, right? You know, a kid yeah. sees like a can opener. He's like, oh my God, you know, yeah. how's that thing working? And he's, he's got this genuine wonder in his eyes. And we forget that that's actually a, a really amazing thing. Um, so for me, the easiest way to recapture that feeling is to get out there and travel and see a culture I haven't seen before. You know, try, I don't know, like a, a martial art I've never done before, eat some food I've never done before, go look at a bridge that I've never seen. Because, you know what, I'm sitting there, like my mouth is, my jaw's on the floor, you know, I'm just amazed by this thing that I'm seeing. But I look over, I see the local people, and they're bored. They're focused on their phones, or they're focused on uh, going home, or they're focused on their, their two kids who are fighting each other, you know, whatever. They're focused on normal stuff, because to them, this is nothing new. And, yep. you know, I like to be that observer who is in that constant state of awe of the places that I'm in. You grew up in LA, but your family's in Hong Kong. Is that correct? My dad is in Hong Kong. Or sorry, what am I saying? Uh, I don't even know where my family is anymore. No, my uncle's in Hong Kong. My dad's in the States. My mom's in the States. Um, So I'm half Cantonese. My dad came from Hong Kong uh, to the United States. And then he met my mom in the States. Uh, But actually, I had... I'd never really spent time in Hong Kong growing up. Classic Midwestern, suburban, Chili's, Outback Steakhouse, like all yeah. that. My exposure, well, I, I had exposure to pretty good Chinese food because of my dad. But most people's exposure around there is like, you know, P.F. Chang's. And yep. their exposure to Italy is the Olive Garden. Like that's the culture I grew up in. Just very yeah. American suburbs. Yeah. At the moment, you have no fixed address. So how much of the year do you spend on the road? I guess you could say I'm always on the road. I mean, right now, I've, I've been in Hong Kong for almost two months, mm-hmm. but not consecutively. Because I last week, I just did a shoot in Thailand and Sri Lanka, a two-week oh. shoot. But then I came back to Hong Kong. But I'm staying in hotels. Like, right now, I'm just in a hotel. And I've been living in Airbnb hotels and very occasionally staying with friends uh, for the last three and a half years. Yeah. 
Does it ever get lonely? I imagine that amount of travel and um, the fluidity of different places and different people. Like, what is your stability or central point that keeps you focused? I mean, it does get lonely. It gets very lonely being on the road, especially if I don't have anything to focus on other than the travels. Like, if I'm not on a project, mm-hmm. um, really the filmmaking is what's kept me focused. Because there have been periods where I had no work for, let's say, two months while I'm a nomad. Yeah. And that's really cool the first time it happens. But then the second or third time that I have a lull and I have, like, no yeah. job, basically, it becomes a sort of existential crisis. I'm sitting there, <laughs> you know, in some random, like, little Airbnb that I rented in, in Tokyo or Croatia or wherever I end up at the moment. And I'm sitting there like, what do I do today? <laughs> yeah. Nothing I have to do. There's nowhere I have to be. I don't know anybody here. You know, my life is just a complete, like, you know, uh, shaggy dog story, like, you know, never ending walkabout. So, yeah, the videos that I make have really given me purpose. Because then I can take that time and I can say, you know what? No one's telling me to do anything right now. And that's a great thing. I can take this time. I can make it something productive. Mm. And I, I can create something that I wouldn't be able to create if I was on somebody else's schedule. Is it also a um, connection point to other people in your life? Like I know from my travel photos, the time I spent traveling and capturing these amazing sites, it's something about being able to take those images back to the people that I know and love. And when they see that, I kind of feel like they were able to share in the experience with me. Yeah. I, I really love being able to do that with video. Um, I've actually never done a whole lot of photography, but you know, I, I'm sure it's the same, same. sort of yeah, principle. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one. I mean, that's the reason I guess to be creating this art, right? Because I'm not taking a picture of, or I'm not shooting, um, let's say the streets of Tokyo in order to document anything in particular. I'm not saying, I'm not saying here is, you know, exactly what the buildings look like. Here is a visual record of exactly how the people dress. You know, it's not, it's not informational. It's, capturing my feelings about the place, mm-hmm. capturing what Tokyo felt like to me. That's why I edited it a certain way. That's why I add a certain kind of music because then I can say, okay, my experience is no longer just my experience. Now it's something that I can make other people experience the way yeah. I experienced it. And it's so powerful and so great because then let's say I was there alone, right? I'm not alone anymore. Once people see the film, yeah. now I experienced it with them in this vicarious way. Yeah. The the type of filming that you do is really special because you you're not just a tourist on the street, but you you go through the different layers of society and you get some some really amazing inside footage. That would also take a huge amount of energy and emotional energy, I guess, to to set up and sort of find all these people and get all the nose until you get the people that say, "Yeah, I'm happy to be on camera." So what is it that keeps driving you through to get those people on camera and and how do you sustain that? For me, that's the exploration. Like people travel to feel like they're exploring, right? But the truth of travel is everybody's been almost anywhere you're going to go. People have been to the bottom of the ocean. You know, they've been to the highest mountain. They've been everywhere. You think you're the first person to go to Burma and hell no, you're not, you know, tons of travelers have been every place you're going. So, you know, I, I, I guess going into people's lives for me is 
sort of that last frontier of travel. You know, people have been everywhere on the outside, but what they haven't done, what what outsiders, what travelers haven't done, is go into this this grandpa's uh, yeah. bedroom when he's playing mahjong on his computer from this computer from the eighties. You know, uh, <laughs> in his moment, like nobody's ever seen that moment really, except for him and maybe his wife, and yeah, his cat, right? So I feel like an explorer in a way when I'm getting these intimate little moments in people's lives. I think that's really the fascinating part to me. And I just want to keep exploring deeper and deeper and deeper. It's also peeling back the layers, I think, and your filming style and your editing style, I think, complement that. And it's something about the juxtaposition of what you can see on the outside, the the external buildings, some of the, the glitz and the glamour of public places, and then using sort of, I guess, lateral movement and transitions. You, you can go behind the wall and you'll reveal what life is like on the inside. Yeah, that's kind of the magic of the edit, right? I try to try to say, okay, you know, you think you're limited by a wall, but mm-hmm. because of cinema, you can go right through that wall. You can you can start out in the dining area of a restaurant and then all of a sudden you can just boom, go straight into the kitchen. And you don't have to just go into the kitchen. You can go right over the shoulder of the chef right as he pours oil into the wok and a flame explodes. You know, yeah. You're right there in every key moment of this normal day. And, you know, what I'm trying to get at is, like, every little moment of, of life can be really fascinating if you get close enough. And a lot of that is makes it a very fluid viewing experience. When you're shooting, are you thinking about those edits and how you're going to put it together? Or is it more just responding to the moment and having enough handles on movement so that you can find points later in an edit? Uh, it's so when I shoot each shot, I do, I do multiple versions, Mm -hmm. um, so that I have sort of a a palette. So let's say it's a shot. Let's go back to the kitchen example. Let's say I'm moving through a kitchen. I will shoot like moving forward, moving backwards, moving up, moving down, moving left, moving right all within the space of about five minutes of just running around with my camera and my gimbal. And then when I'm editing, if I want to connect that to another shot, uh, let's say the shot of the dining room, all I have to do is take the dining room shot where I'm moving to the right and connect that to the kitchen shot where I'm moving to the right and find a thing that passes in front of the camera, like maybe a wall passes in front of the camera and use that to connect the two shots. So you almost have like a standard coverage that you would approach a scene in, I guess a bit like... The traditional Hollywood coverage, but for you, it's a lot of movement. Yeah, it's coverage through movement, um, and I do Hollywood style coverage too. I do wide shots, I do medium shots, I do close-ups, mm-hmm. and I've just learned through shooting what kinds of coverage I'll need for what kinds of scenes. Because sometimes the scenes will just be a brief glimpse in a montage, and there's no real reason to do that standard coverage. Maybe it's yeah. just you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just a guy like slamming a pickaxe into the ground. And we're just traveling past him in a car. There's no reason yeah. to jump out and get a close-up of that pickaxe if I know that I'm not going to connect that close-up to anything meaningful. So I just get the one shot and I move on, or I just get yeah. variations of the wide shot. And that just kind of comes from, I guess, intuition and knowing a little bit about what I want out of each subject that I shoot. But yeah, it, it's a form of coverage. Movement is all throughout your films. Would you say that your pistol grip gimbal would be the most important equipment for your style of storytelling? 
you know, it's become it's become indispensable, but I've only used it on a couple films actually. Uh, okay. I used it on my Mongolia short film. Yep. Then I used it on Hong Kong Strong, the one about Hong Kong. Um, before that, everything was handheld, and I had really no gear. And it was kind of nicer in a way because I didn't have to worry about calibrating my gimbal. I didn't have to worry about you know extra pieces in my kit. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, I don't know. If you ever use a gimbal to shoot video, it just becomes so addictive because the restrictions are gone. Like you can you can walk, you can run, you can go low, you can go high, you can shoot from a car. Your car can be bumpy and you still get amazingly smooth shots. So I would say I just got addicted to the possibilities. And now I pretty much shoot everything on a gimbal. And and does the one-handed gimbal that you use help with the style of filmmaking you use where you're pretty low profile, I guess, one guy moving around shooting? Yeah, they have small two-handed ones too uh -huh. um, that are pretty good. But the one hand is nice because I I feel like I can pack it a little bit easier. And it doesn't, it, it kind of looks like a selfie stick. It doesn't really yep. look like professional gear. So if people see me using that on the street, they think I'm maybe not just a casual tourist, but they don't think I'm like a film crew or like a professional camera guy. Yeah. And that's the image I want. I don't want people to notice me. I don't want them to think I'm anything special. Yeah. Well, you, you learned your run and gun style from working as a producer on MTV's docu-reality series, True Life. But if we go back before that, what sort of projects did you work on as a kid? And what led you into filmmaking? As a kid, okay. When I was a, when I was a really little kid, I made flip books. Mm -hmm. Because all okay. I, I had post-it notes and I had a pencil. So I made flip books, you know. But okay. I didn't just draw pictures. I wanted them to move still, you know. And I yeah. was, you know, dinosaurs running or whatever I could do. And then eventually uh, my parents got me a camcorder when I was eight years old and I just shot video ever since. You know, I got a, an old uh, DHSC camcorder um, and I've been upgrading my cameras a couple times a year ever since I was eight. <laughs> so, so it sounds like movement was like a really important part of your artistic style even back then. Like it wasn't just visual art, it was something about the motion from one thing to another. Yeah, and I'll tell you why, or my own personal like psychological evaluation of myself, I guess. I wanted to live the things I was shooting because I kind of wanted to be in a different world. You know, I wanted to be in a world that I created, mm -hmm. a world that I guess was a little more perfect, or just I don't know something that was uh, that was just my my own special world. And photography is great, but that moment is still the moment doesn't. It doesn't really live, you know. It's a static thing. Um, yeah. And I, couldn't, I couldn't immerse myself in photography the same way that I can in film. Um, and I think if VR or animation or video games were less technical, if the experience of making one of those things was more like the experience of being in it, I would probably be doing one of those mediums too. Because what yeah. I'm really attracted to is, yeah, just leaving this world and going into another one. Um, so what are what are those things in this new world that you want to create? What are those things that you aspire to or, or things that you want to escape in reality? <laughs> what do I want to escape in reality? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess tedium. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, Stagnantation. Like yeah. This, I mean, what do most people spend most of their days feeling these days? You know, we're usually bored, anxious. You know, or, uh, you know, all these, all these emotions that aren't in movies, you know, mm -hmm. there's, no, there's no scene in a movie that's ever intentionally boring, 
right? Never like Scorsese's never sitting around like, all right, now this scene's going to be really boring, so let's try to make it as uninteresting as possible. But that's actually kind of what a lot of real life tends to be if you if you work in an office or if you're sitting in a classroom and you're not interested in the subject. You know, so I spent a lot of my life imagining a much more interesting scenario that it could be mm -hmm. in. And I wanted to spend as much time in that much more interesting scenario as possible. And even when I'm traveling, like if I can reimagine the place I'm in through a lens as I'm traveling, that reimagining just makes it so much more interesting to me. It's looking at it through a camera lens. Yeah. Is it, is it something about being able to um, have control over a, a story or like reshape your life in a way? Yeah, maybe it's the story aspect of it. It's it's taking something that doesn't really have, I guess, a story intrinsically, right? Because stuff just happens in life. You know, it's not just one. And shaping story. it and giving it meaning. Yeah, yeah, maybe adding the meaning to it. Okay. Yeah. So if you if you were not a filmmaker, what would you be? If I wasn't a filmmaker, um, I guess we're assuming that I'm also not like a photographer or something extremely similar to a filmmaker. Um, yeah, if, if you want, if you want a visual storyteller, <laughs> but I'm not a visual storyteller. Um, you know, I don't know what I would be. To be honest, I've thought about this, and I've tried other professions. Like I've tried sales, uh, I tried to sell technology, I've tried um, being an assistant to an agent in LA. Um, I've tried a few things, and I failed at all of them. So it's really hard for me to say what I would actually be good at that isn't this. I don't okay. know. Yeah. So, and alongside filmmaking, like, what other hobbies do you have? Um, I, do I have any hobbies? Or is, like, filmmaking your life? I know it can be, like, a travel. life, like, travel. I mean, this is really lame, but, yeah, all I do is travel. I mean, traveling is, is a hobby, because a lot of the time when I travel, I don't film it. I don't want to film it. I have no interest yeah. in filming it. I just want to see the place, eat different food, you know, walk around and, and just be there. Um... And then, you know, I go jog, I, I do some exercise, but I'm, I'm pretty monolithically focused in my life. Yeah. I guess I'm not really That's a cool. hobby. I, yeah, I've told myself quite a bit that I should get a hobby. <laughs> it probably takes <laughs> me out of it. Something to stretch the brain in, in another way. So, yeah. what do you feel like would be your number one challenge at the moment in your career and, and the things that you aspire to? My number one challenge in my career would be getting other people to give me the freedom I want, uh, <laughs> commercial jobs and, you know, bigger projects. Uh, you know, I'm always looking for that client or whatever, the financier or just anybody who's going to say, Hey, Brandon, whatever you want to do, just do it. And we'll take whatever you give us because we know it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And I realize that's a tall order. You know, it's not, it's not really a realistic thing for most people in any industry, but it's something that I'm trying to work toward at least incrementally, at least, you know, in a bit. Yeah. That is really important though. I think gaining that trust of clients is is essential to that style of filmmaking because it's like you know inside you're like you get you give me the time, I can go and I can shoot you an amazing film and and I'll get it, but you've just got to trust me that I know what I'm doing and I need a couple of you know days at this to to capture that perfect moment. Yeah. That's the thing. It's it's a simple thing, but if I was a client I would have trouble giving any artist that <laughs> too. Yeah. Because I don't know what's going to come of it. And, you know, it's a, it's a big risk. So yeah. maybe it just comes down to building those relationships. Maybe it just takes time. Yeah. 
So was there an age that you felt like you discovered your voice or um, sort of came into your own? And what are the core themes that are important to you across your body of work? Uh, I'd say I came into my own about last year. <laughs> okay. It hasn't been very long, maybe two years ago. I spent most of my life as a filmmaker or whatever, um, kind of just being afraid of doing the stories I really wanted to do, doing the projects I really wanted to do. I would always, you know, try to try to just take somebody else's idea and make it better if I could, because I felt a little safer doing that. I felt like it wasn't my fault then if it, if it wasn't mm -hmm. as awesome as possible. Um, you know, at least I could share, <laughs> share the failure a bit, I guess. With yeah. Else. So uh, what, what was the step that enabled you to overcome that fear of, I guess, owning, owning the creative decision and the failure that may come with that? Um, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to Vimeo. Vimeo.com, okay. which is the, uh, the video sharing site. It's the, the Brooklyn hipster artist version of YouTube. Um, yeah. So Vimeo is really awesome because they have staff picks, which are you know curated front page videos um, that are just handpicked by a few moderators from the staff. Um, doesn't matter how many views the video had beforehand. Doesn't matter uh, if the video creator like knew anybody at Vimeo. You know, doesn't matter how many subscribers they have. Whatever. It's basically a pure like meritocracy in a way. So, you know, I made a video in twenty. 13, I think, 2012 or 2013, called The Shipping Yard, which was uh, something I just shot in a couple afternoons in Dubai uh, about the local um, dock workers as they were loading and unloading boats. And I was completely surprised that it got a staff pick. And when it got a staff pick, uh, all of a sudden, you know, it got hundreds of comments, it got thousands of likes and hundreds of thousands of views. And I was like, oh my God, people are actually appreciating this thing that I made you know, on my laptop computer in my bedroom in my off time from doing a commercial gig. Um, and I was like, well, maybe, I don't know, if all these people say that it's good, maybe I should keep going and, and try to take this to the next level next time, put a little more effort into it, make something even yeah. bigger. So uh, there was a certain amount of validation that came through the recognition of being on Vimeo and being a soft pick. Yeah, it was huge. You know, yeah. I, I don't really want to be a shill for like Vimeo or anything, but staff picks really do something, I guess, for your artistic ego when you get one. Well, it's, a, it's an important community and, and differs from YouTube, I guess, in that a lot of the, the filmmakers and the, the people who are really important in the industry use that platform and, and comment on that platform. Yeah, it is nice to get validation from other filmmakers. Yeah. And it's also nice to not just be tied to video views as the validation. You know, the staff pick is more like a like an a award film festival award or something. Yeah. Because, you know, on YouTube, I had some videos. I had one video that got like a million views a few years ago. But then, you know, there's another video of like a dog on a skateboard that gets 50 million views. And you're like, <laughs> okay, what actually makes a video good? Yeah. Should I just be looking for animals with superior motor skills? I mean, is that what sure. it takes? Yeah. <laughs> so how has filmmaking helped you grow as a person? I think filmmaking has um, forced me to be outside my comfort zone on a regular basis. <laughs> Every time I go out there and I make a short film or, you know, a commercial, anything, even the simplest project, it's not comfortable. Yeah. 
I'm doing something that I don't quite know how to do. I never have enough preparation time. You know, I never get exactly what I wanted. And, you know, I have to figure it out constantly. It's, it just keeps me on my toes. Um, so, and it also connects me to other people. It forces me to connect to people. You know, I'm naturally kind of an introvert. It gives me that bridge where I don't just have to walk up to a stranger. I can walk up to a stranger with a camera and, and yeah. suddenly have an excuse, you know, hey, you know, hey, you, you're sweeping floors. I think that's interesting. It's weird if I don't have a camera. And I'm like, hey, bro, like, can I watch you sweep floors? That's, that's creepy, right? But if I, <laughs> suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm an artist and I'm making a thing out of this. And it's right. justified. It's great. It's the so excuse. Gives you a little buffer between yeah. you and the person, a little social normity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so wrapping up, if we continue down this career path of travel and filmmaking, and you cast your mind forward 10 years, what can you envision? I'd like to eventually make either a feature film or a series of short films that are connected, you know, in a, like in a serialized kind of way. And I've had some ideas about this, but to be honest, I just haven't had an idea that I thought was, was good enough to really pour my life into. But that's where I'd like it to head, you know, just bigger projects and hopefully a project that stays completely true to my sort of my goals as a filmmaker. Yeah. Artistically. Yeah. Cool. And your website is unscripted.com. Is there any other uh, Twitter handles or something that people can find you on? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as Run Gun Shoot, mm -hmm. R U N G U N Bang Bang Shoot. And then uh, I am on Facebook as Run Gun Shoot as well. Um, and then I have an Instagram. It's the worst name possible uh, Brandon underscore L underscore L I. So there you go. Cool. Thank you. And it's been fantastic chatting with you. And I'm looking forward to seeing your next film. All right. Thank you so much. It's great talking to Thanks, you. Thanks, man. All right. Bye. And that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. At Refilmery, we believe that everyone has the ability to tell their own story. That's why we've created this monthly series of film screenings, networking events, parties, and video production workshops in New York to help connect you with the people and the ideas that you need to bring your own story to life. So visit refilmery.com series to join our mailing list and we'll keep you up to date on our events. Also, if you enjoyed today's show, you can help spread the word by sharing it with a friend. Get them to subscribe by searching Refilmery in iTunes or Google. Today's show was curated by T. Ho. Theme music was by Julian Bell. My name's David, and I'll be back next week with more insights into the life of a filmmaker. Filmmaker.